You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 159 of the Tech Sideline podcast originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, we recap the press conference from Virginia Tech Athletic Director Whit Babcock about retaining Coach Justin Fuente, the recruiting class that was signed on Wednesday, as well as the decision not to play in a bowl game. Plus, Virginia Tech men's basketball bounces back in a big way against number 24 Clemson. Episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, so many great ways to consume the Tech Sideline Podcast. Glad you could join us as we record on Thursday afternoon, December 17th. We have our same crew as always. To my left, our managing editor, Chris Coleman. Across from me, our founder and general manager, he is Will Stewart. And behind the scenes, you'll see his head on the podcast set at the end of the show. The best podcast producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, it is great to have all of you with us. If you're watching live on YouTube, we ask that you please hit the like and subscribe button. And if you have a question for Will or Chris, be sure to put it in the chat. We will get to those at the end of the show. Campus Emporium is proud to sponsor the Tech Sideline community. A portion of every sale is returned to Virginia Tech in support of its endowment for excellence, student programming, and need-based scholarships. We have been serving the Virginia Tech community for over 25 years from our locations in Blacksburg and our online store. Please visit the number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise at CampusEmporium.com or come see us at 207 North Main Street or 1337 South Main Street. Each week on the Tech Sideline Podcast, we feature an item from Campus Emporium. Today, as Will holds it up, it is a 2021 calendar. Pretty bland front, but on the back, as with any calendar, you have the uh, individual months. So this is September 2020 through December of 2021. So, yep, you can buy right now and start using it. And what it's got is it's got former players. I see, Chris helped me, Dwayne Brown, Joey Sly, Tim Tim Settle, Settle. Greg Stroman, Wyatt Teller, uh, Kendall Fuller, Hokey Bird, he's still there, Logan Thomas, uh, Brandon Faison, who that? That's Tyrod, right? Tyrod in a horrible orange helmet. Oh, I think that's from, is that the Orange Bowl? (laughs) <laughs> Probably. Uh, and and who game. who's this? Is that uh, number 19? It's Cole, right? Or is it Chuck Clark? Looks like an African-American. I, I, I believe that's you, Chuck Clark. You've got it all the way over there. I do. <laughs> that, that's Tremaine Edmonds, Kendall Fuller, uh, number 22. That's uh, Terrell. Terrell. Terrell Edmonds, correct. And number one, Isaiah Ford. 
All good guys. And if you're watching the podcast or listening, Will, this will be in the uh, YouTube chat. We can put the link. It will be. That's yes, Campus many, Emporium, many to Campus Emporium. Number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise. Again, that's CampusEmporium.com. You can see them at 207 North Main Street or 1337 South Main Street. Tech Sideline Podcast also presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Find out how you can help Virginia Tech Wrestling today by going to SoutheastRTC.com. Great to be with you guys again alongside of Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. I'm Evan Hughes. Episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast and We've got a lot to get into today. I think that's fair to say, Will. You're right. We're going to spend the whole podcast talking about women's basketball and lacrosse. Chris Coleman, how are you holding up? I know it's been a busy week for the site. A lot <laughs> Don't of take content. that as an insult to women's basketball and lacrosse. Somebody's making, going to. I'm buddy. making a joke. So <laughs> somebody's going to cut that out, put it on YouTube. Not YouTube, but uh, Twitter, and I'm going to take a beating. Oh, well. Malcolm, you might have to use your editing skills. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Should have muted me while I was talking. <laughs> Chris Coleman, how are you doing? Um, I'm tired, man. Very tired. You know what I just did? I was going out to eat lunch and I just spaced out and I drove past where I was going and I literally drove halfway down Main Street before I snapped out of it and realized where the heck I was. It's it's been, it was, been a uh, long, long season. Well, you noted that you slept in yesterday, correct? Well, I did. So that was Wednesday. I don't, I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday afternoon at about 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, I've got a fairly high back chair, so I'll put my head back on it and fell asleep. And, you know, there's a difference between napping and falling asleep. And I fell asleep. When I woke up like 30 or 45 minutes later, I probably snored and that woke me up. It took me a couple of seconds to figure out where I was. So this has been kind of stressful and, and, and tiring. Well, we're great to have everybody with us right now. The chat is already starting to blow up. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure <laughs> Why, to drop a question. <laughs> no, no, no. Just people have questions. We appreciate it. We've had a last couple of podcasts. We've had terrific questions from those watching live. So again, if you have a question, drop them in the chat. And we will get to them at the end of the show. Hey, one thing in all seriousness, uh, the Virginia Tech women's basketball team is at Notre Dame. How good is Notre Dame this year? Uh, Notre Dame is, they're struggling a little bit. Of course, Muffet McGraw retired last right. year, the legendary coach. Um, they lost to Ohio to begin the season. Uh, but Virginia Tech women's basketball folks off to a terrific start, undefeated. Uh, last week they led the country in three-point field goals made. Aja Shepard, Liz Kitley. I mean, Kenny Brooks got a really good team this year. And there, I think it's at 6 o'clock tonight on the ACC network. So if you get the ACC in, um, I'm, I'm resisting the urge to take some shots at them. for the... So I was watching a basketball game last night in the ACC network, and it, and it was, and it may have even been ESPN. It was hard to watch because the two guys were doing it from their homes, and the play-by-play guy sounded fine, but the color analyst, he just had a really bad mic, and it was echoey, and it was just awful. So anyway, I'm, I just got to thinking about that while I was talking about the ACC network. They're on tonight. I've got the DVR set. Can't wait to see them play. We've got a lot to get through today on episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about Virginia Tech's recruiting class in a little bit. The decision the players made and the coaching staff supported to not attend a bowl game this season. We'll look back at the 27-year bowl streak that currently is the longest active streak in the country. We will also talk about Virginia Tech men's basketball and their bounce-back win against Clemson. But we begin the podcast today talking about Virginia Tech Athletic Director Whit Babcock, his decision to retain Virginia Tech football coach Justin Fuente. He held a press conference on Tuesday. And before we get into the specifics of this press conference, Will, I just want to recap the last three or four days for for both Chris, for you, for Tech Sideline. 
What had the last 72 hours been like covering Virginia Tech football this week? Uh, so I, I, I thought, Chris and I, clearly from the way we've been talking and writing, we thought there was a better chance that Fuente was going to be dismissed. Um, and there's been some reflection and introspection going on, I would say, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the hours and days since the decision was made. And so, you know, I, I did something I, I historically don't do. I, w- I was working a lot of people and a lot of sources and communicating with a lot of different people, a lot of different ways, trying to get a feel for what was going to happen. And as I wrote in my article uh, that I ran yesterday, um, the very best sources I was talking to weren't even sure exactly what was going to happen um, because, uh, uh, you know, with Babcock, whatever he was thinking, he was holding it very close to the vest um, and, and just wasn't talking to many to many people about it. Um, and then there were there we were getting a lot of information from other people that we hadn't necessarily vetted as good or bad sources very specific things we, we you know and chris can address that a little bit for example for example like we had two different sources come at us within probably 10 minutes of each other with like direct examples of okay here's when the news that fuente will get fired is going to happen and here's the timetable for the replacement here's uh here's the length of the contract for the replacement like a lot of detailed stuff yeah. that that like if it was just somebody coming at us saying oh we i heard fuente's gonna get fired would be like oh okay whatever but when they start hitting you with like minute details as part of the entire deal that that's when your ears perk up and you start paying attention especially when it's more than one of them and the details are the same yeah, and and so that's kind of the way the wind was blowing, you know. And I and I, but but even the very best sources that weren't sure, they stuck their fingers up and felt which way the wind was blowing, and that's what they thought as well. So, um, whatever thought process with Babcock went through, you know, however he made his decision, um, you know, it was it was a big mystery up until the end. So. Um, then, then when you, when you find out like, and I put this in my article, I had somebody text me at 1:49 PM on Monday and say, it's done. And I texted him back and said, well, what's it? And he texted, Oh, sorry. Foo is out. And we know that this person knows someone. They, they got a good source. Right, yep. right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, then literally 14 minutes later, the very best source I have said, uh, wit is keeping foo. And that was definitive in in my mind. When this person told me what was happening, that's what was happening. But that's the kind of thing we were dealing with, and so so we've been getting been getting raked across the coals a little bit for you know the, the kind of the way the sources we were listening to and what we were thinking, and and I, I do agree in the sense that it is a lesson in um, listening to what people say. What is the lesson? I don't know. We're going to go back and evaluate. For one thing, I'm going to we're going to circle around with with these various channels that were saying things that turned out to be wrong, and say, okay, where did you get your info, and why did you think this, and why did you pass it on to us? You know, um, I think traditional journalists, newspaper guys, they're educated and trained in how to deal with with sources. You know, like you won't hear a newspaper reporter say, typically, 
unless it's a really good source, they won't single source something. They'll do more than one source. They'll say, well, I'm hearing it from here and here, and these are good sources, so I believe it. And that's kind of the point where we were at. We were talking to a lot of people, and, and like I said, that's the way the wind was blowing. And uh, I'll close it out with this. Uh, Hokey 83 on our boards, our users consider him, you know, just about the best guru out there with the inside information. And some people on our boards, quite frankly, are kind of mean to Hokey 83, and he, so he doesn't post very much anymore. Right, I don't know Right, right, that. right. Uh, yeah. But he did post on, on Monday when the news came out. He said, everybody, except Witt apparently, everybody at Tech is surprised, and even Fuente is surprised. That's from Hokey 83. Yeah. And who everybody on our boards has always trusted as as a very, very knowledgeable source. Right. Right. So, like, I, I don't know anybody, like, I mean, I bet uh, I could go through my phone and 90% of the people who have texted me and asked me about it are surprised. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, I was surprised. So, on Tuesday, uh, Virginia Tech Athletic Director Whip Bab- Babcock held a press conference and he was talking about how the days of traditionally just doing a press release are over. He kind of wanted to explain his thinking. It was an in-depth press conference that he gave. A lot of questions were asked. He had a long opening statement. Will, what did you make of the decision to keep Coach Justin Fuente after hearing what Whit Babcock had to say? Uh, he was he was very clear about his reasoning he went on he he had a prepared statement that was about 15 minutes long about 20 actually 20 yeah (laughs) um and i actually tweeted out i I think it was on the tech sideline account not my personal account but on the tech sideline account i took i took the 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 heart and soul of his reasoning and tweeted it out in three graphics so there are three pictures of whit babcock going over why he kept justin fuente and it was um, the, the reasoning was that he just felt that that this staff, that the staff that had been assembled, particularly defensively, has not had a chance to show what they can do. Um, that that COVID affected some things, and a lot of people kind of kind of brushed that off. But he just felt that the the cost, in air quotes, not not the financial cost, but the overall cost. Of he may have even used the phrase burning it to the ground, tearing it down, mm-hmm. tearing it all down and trying to start over again. I think he just felt that that was too risky and that, that he needed to give the current staff time. And the other thing that came out of it to me, Evan, was that, um, and, and I also wrote this in my article, that that people um, think that uh, Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente need to sit down and evaluate the program and come up with a plan for improving what's not operating, what's not functioning well. They do that all the time. And one of the things Whit basically said was, we already did that. We do it. We meet every week, but we did it big time after the Baylor dalliance last January. And we really talked about things in depth and came up with a plan. And of course, part of the outcome of that is the football enhancement fund. And, and how that's going to be used. So Witt was kind of saying, this is already in process, you know, and I think we need to give this staff time to, to bear fruit here. Your takeaways from the press conference, Chris? Uh, first of all, I, I would say, you know, this is partly Virginia Tech's fault from a strategic communications standpoint, but uh, the problem with, with those live press conferences that only the media can watch 
is you know the media sits there and tweets things out and it was a our transcription of the wit press conference was over eight thousand words well over eight thousand words and, and the press conference itself was an hour long right and <clears throat> you're just getting snippets like those little excerpts you see on twitter are probably five percent of what gets said in those so if you just read twitter and the quotes put again put out on twitter you you it's easy to take things out of context and not understand them and for a lot of people wits and wits one of these people sometimes like uh the written word doesn't necessarily go over well, but when you see him speak, you have a better understanding of what he means and things like that. So I thought people blew the press conference out of proportion. Can't interpret standpoint. tone over text. Yeah, ex- you're exactly right. Yeah, um, so so it's it's an abject lesson in when you see a beat writer tweeting out a single quote, like you know the one the one where he stuck his foot in his mouth was when he talked about uh, the social media mob that had been vocal right. about getting rid of Justin Fuente. And he said, and, and I find that you know, most of the time the people that are allowed like that don't don't donate much anyway. And he kind of chuckled. It, it's like a throwaway line, but then it gets repeated on Twitter and right. off it goes. They don't see the chuckle. They, you know, it's uh, and he's not wrong to be honest. With you. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> he's probably not wrong. You know, so, but but I thought, and you and you haven't asked this question, but I did want to address it. So um, there, there's all the stuff that led up to it, and then the after. And, and the after is, uh, so Chris put a poll in a, he, he, ran a, he ran a really short free article, um, Virginia Tech's keeping Justin Fuente, and he put a poll in there and said, do you agree with the decision? Yes, no, I don't know. And he ran that in the free article, then he repeated it again in a, a, a I believe, a pay article that he ran, mm-hmm. and then I repeated it again in a pay article that I ran yesterday. And we're up to about 45 or 4,600 votes. And... Only 26% of respondents said, no, I don't agree with the decision. Something like 58 or 59% said, yes, I agree with the decision. And then there's an I don't know of whatever the math is, 15%? Might be as high as 15%. So you start thinking, if you're us, you start thinking, huh, you know, and, and this gets into group psychology, and really individual psychology. Very few of those 57% are actually speaking out, or at least yes, not loudly. right. And, and... Um, of the 26% that thought he should have been let go, even a big portion of them aren't really speaking out. But there is a subset of those folks who speak out uh, frequently and often. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's that old saying about don't argue with reporters because they, they buy ink by the barrel. Well, you know, these days in the days of social media, don't argue with the fans because electrons are free, <laughs> you know. Uh, um, so I was uh, going to ask this question a little bit later, but I'll go ahead and bring it up now. You guys follow the message boards here at Tech Sideline, of course, very closely. You guys are on social media. Mm-hmm. What has the reaction from the fan base been, in your estimation, since the press conference? And have you seen notes, like you're saying, from those that, I mean, only 26% said no. Uh, what have you well, seen from both sides of the That's still audience? a very high minority, to be quite honest. It's, 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 yeah, and, um, and Chris can cover why. Well, uh, if you go back to, uh, we, we do approval ratings articles uh, every summer. Well, we didn't this year because of COVID, but uh, Justin Fuente's approval ratings in the summer of 2019, this is coming off of six and seven season. All right, so strongly approved was 19%. Approved was 60%. So 79% of people approved of Justin Fuente. And and then approved, disapproved was only like 4%, 3% or 4%. 
You then mean it, disapprove, strongly disapprove. Right. And end. only like four people in the entire thing strongly disapproved of the job Justin Fuente was Out doing. of like 900 votes. Out of like, right, right. So you've, and, and these are subscriber votes. Um, so I, a lot of people have changed their opinions since then. Like, this is a sharp drop off. I mean, when you, when you run a poll about, oh, should a guy be fired, it's really an approval approval rating so his, de facto approval so his de facto approval rating is dropped from oh 79 percent to 57 percent his disapproval rating has gone up from four percent to 26 to 26 percent and so that's a sharp sharp drop off um it's trending in the wrong direction correct. right 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 so i i think uh I'm, I can't speak to Twitter, of course, but from our boards, from our subscriber boards, um, the general reaction, even from from those who dis, who disagree with the decision on our, on our subscriber board, I think is mostly, I disagree with it, but I understand why the decision was was made. And that's why the 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 two press conferences. So, one thing I applaud is the effort put forth by Whit Babcock, Justin Fuente, and 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 making Justin Hamilton and Brad Cornelson a part of this. So, you know, part of what you got going on here is that you have this uh, uh, situation where, and, and Whit talked about this, he, he, and, he and Justin Fuente are very similar personalities. And, and I, we've been saying this, and it was interesting to hear Whit basically come out publicly and admit it. That he said, you know, in times of stress, and certainly 2020 and COVID-19 is a stressful time, he said there are there are certain personality types that tend to withdraw into themselves and focus on the task at hand. And he said, he essentially said, Justin's like that and I'm like that. He's right. Wit has been, and, and this is coming from a guy who actually did a podcast with him a couple of months ago. He did a one-on-one podcast with us, which I appreciate. But for the most part, since COVID really kicked in, Witt has been persona non grata for, for a guy in a leadership position. He hasn't done a lot of interviews or really put himself out there. And so you've got this situation where he and Fuente being the same sort of personality kind of builds on itself, you know. And Yeah, they really need – an ideal situation is like – they would they would both be different and then they would balance each other out right right but they're both the exact same which means everything's over here yes yeah. it's, it's over on one side so um so i think <laughs> wit has really made an effort he really made an effort tuesday to kind of break that cycle and he talked to, he said i've talked to justin about fan outreach and and that sort of thing and to me fan outreach doesn't just include fan outreach it includes making your um coaches and players more accessible to the media which makes them more accessible to the public and we'd even talked about humanizing brad cornelson for instance he said dehumanize he accidentally said the wrong word <laughs> like, that winds up on twitter and off we go i'm uh, pretty know? sure you've already been dehumanizing him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but um I'm, I'm not making the the point i really want to make uh so so wit does his press conference some of its quotes get lifted out of context. People go after him on Twitter. He made the mistake of responding to him. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it's tough for him. But once once we did once we and other media outlets did the entire transcript, and they did the entire video, and and I actually went on my Twitter feed and said, if you're gonna go after him, 
at least put in the work and watch the video and read the transcript. Right, right. It's not like you don't have time to do that these days, right? Uh, you're uh, right. You know, you're sitting 20, around your house. It's 2020 and everybody's <laughs> about to take vacation for Christmas. So you've got time to do the research on this stuff now. So um, uh, I, what I've been feeling ever since the uh, the, the press conferences that, that the men did, I, I feel the pendulum swinging in the other direction. Like people appreciate the effort to communicate. What they're missing is a level of detail that they want and which they're not going to get. You know, um, what are the problems? How exactly are yeah. you going to fix them? Is what. And I'm, I want to bring that up in, in just a moment, what okay. you said, how to fix. But when we did the podcast a week ago today, going into the Commonwealth Cup right. on the line, Virginia Tech, Virginia, a question was asked, I believe from a, uh, from a YouTube watcher, and they asked, do you think – Justin Fuente needs to beat Virginia to keep his job. And I was like, no. I, now, I, I said no because I actually thought the decision. I thought the decision had been made. Do right. you, so after the – you listen to what, what Babcock had to say on Tuesday, and he, he mentioned a couple of things watching the players, how they didn't quit over the losing streak, the, the emotion that Coach Fuente showed with his players. He brought that up in his press conference. Do you think that the win over Virginia played a role in him retaining Justin Fuente? Well, now that we know everything that happened, now that we know Virginia Tech won and we know that he was retained, it's possible that it did. Now, if Tech had gone out there and got steamrolled like Pitt did to him, finished the season 4-7 and seven and lost to UVA by 30 points, does it happen? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, you, only Whit Babcock knows that. Right. Um yeah, that, that's, a, that's all it's, I got. It's possible it played a role. Um, you don't want it to. You want it, you want to make uh, business decisions based on facts and such. Yeah, because emotionally, everybody was emotionally excited after that game. Yeah. Tech played a great game against UVA and won. But when you step back from those emotions, pull yourself back from those emotions and look at it w- with just facts, like that's one of Tech's problems. Tech plays great against NC State and UVA and for three quarters of the Miami game. And then they lose to Liberty and they lose to Wake. And they gack against Wake and, right, and, right? and fold against Pitt. Like, it, this season just happened to end on a good note. Um, you know, and it started on a good note. Right. But there's – there were, there's I mean, every season's going to have peaks and valleys to a certain extent. But Tech's peaks and valleys is like a – Freaking seismograph, or right, you know, right. when there's an earthquake going off. So, so and, and Justin Fuente knows this, and he talked about it during during his presser, where he he talked about the inconsistent effort, you know, and and he said he basically went out there and said, "We're not hard, smart, and tough." He said he said, and I own the inconsistency. I got to figure out how to fix that, and I totally agree. I was going to transition to ask you guys because Whit Babcock spoke with the media Tuesday, and then on Wednesday. Justin Fuente, Brad Cornelson, Justin Hamilton all spoke oh, yeah. with the media. And I'll be honest, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, we can get into exactly what he said, but just as somebody, and all three of us have watched what he said on Wednesday. Yep. To me, I felt like it was a different Justin Fuente on Wednesday with the media. I well, felt like he was I, a little more perky. I felt like he, I don't know, could you tell a difference in yes. his media availability well, you could, Wednesday? And, and part of that could have been, you know, that... He just made an effort to like he, he he realized I need to look a certain way. But I the, think Witt has started but, to coach him. Right, right. But but the, but there's other things too. I mean, the last question of the press conference was about 
Justin was about how Witt said Justin Fuente is talking to other teams' coaches during his regular press conferences, not the media. He's not talking to the media or fans. He's right. speaking to the opposing coaches. Right, right. Because and Fuente, uh, he was asked about it, and he said, "Well, I know what I do every Monday. I pull up the other the opposing coaches." press conference and see if I can get anything out of it when it comes to injuries, who's available, suspensions, things like that. So I assume the other coaches are smart enough to do that for my press conferences. So I try to say as little as possible in Monday press conferences. And this is what I've been trying to convince fans on our boards to do for a long time now. Don't pay any attention to his Monday press conferences. Listen to his post-game radio shows with Burn Up and Laser, which is really good. Tech and Talk listen Live. to Tech Talk Live or read our transcription of Tech Talk Live. That's real Justin Fuente. That's not... And, that, and when answering that question yesterday, he basically said, I'm not doing that right now. Right. But in my Monday, he specifically right. said Monday. Right. In my Monday pressers... When he's he giving out, out information about the upcoming game... He's not going to tell he's, you he's who's a, starting at quarterback. Right. He's not going to tell you Braxton Burmeister broke three toes until he's healed from it. Right, right, exactly. You know, uh, so it's, ignore his Monday press conferences and just listen to Tech Talk Live, post game radio shows, things like that. That's when he's really good. Second of all, they didn't stand him up behind a lectern in, in a stuffy environment. They let him sit down and relax. And if there's anything I've noticed about Justin Fuente over the years, it's just whether I've been in his in his office with Jason Stame that time in a two-on-one interview, or whether it's it's down in Charlotte for ACC Media Day during the breakaways, when he's sitting down and he's in a comfortable environment as opposed to standing up in like this big business CEO-type deal, he's just much more comfortable and much more loose and much more relaxed. And the first time I ever saw this, and I misinterpreted it, and I'll explain how, was at the 2018 ACC football mm-hmm. kickoff. Mm-hmm. We were there, and he did his usual breakout afterwards where he sits He sits behind, I wouldn't even call it a desk, it's a thing, and the media gangs around him, and there's five TV cameras on him with lights, and there's a bunch of reporters all all around him. It It, it is intimidating, but, but in that environment, sitting down with people that close to him, he was very relaxed and smiled and confident. And again, that was before the 2018 season, mm-hmm. when we know in retrospect that he was very worried about that team. But he looked very relaxed to me, and I misinterpreted it as him thinking, I think we're going to have a good year. And that's – that's, nope. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's – look, football coaches don't sit around – Frank Beamer didn't sit around and think about, oh, my gosh, how am I going to portray myself in front of the media today? These guys are football coaches. They think about football. But Frank Beamer, they let him sit on a chair, right? Yeah. Or at least they did until – the latter stages of his of his tenure yeah. maybe but yeah i mean he was always he did his press conferences in a chair just in a much more relaxed setting um and i mean brad, brad cornelson said it best yesterday he he said when they asked him about it, he said i just show up and do whatever pete morris tells me to do pete yeah. the director of strategic communications so Every football coach has a different personality, and and they don't sit around thinking about how that personality is presented. There's other people in that department that are supposed to be thinking about that stuff. So, if I'm sitting back, you know, with a and and I'm in charge of this with with Justin Fuente, I would say, Justin, here's what I think we should do. Um, You're going to sit down at every press conference instead of stand up. Put you in a more relaxed environment. 
And instead of that bottle of water that annoys our fans so much for whatever reason, we're going to have a glass of water that you can't crinkle. Or, or a water bottle with a VT logo on it, like you know, like this item right here well, from Campus Emporium. Well, it's, it's the fact that it, that it makes noise. <laughs> Go to campusemporium.com. Yeah, good, good. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of it is like the people around him need to do a better job of pre presenting him. And they have, they, they've, like, he's failed in, in a lot of ways, and he's also been failed in a, in a yeah, lot of ways. Worth mentioning, Mike Young sits down in his press conferences. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, and I, the basketball program runs their own show. They've got their own separate little building and, and, and their own separate media guy and their own separate – Twitter account people. And their <laughs> Twitter see, account is that. money. And they <laughs> Real quick, did you see the Tiger King meme the other oh, day? Oh, that's can exactly we, can we what pause? I'm talking about. <laughs> that was, uh, did you guys see Tiger King? No. I've, I've okay. never seen but it. But you guys get the gist. Anyway, yeah, we are going to talk about basketball so, a little so, bit so, later. Yeah, so right? Mike Young is the Tiger King because he's beaten Clemson 3-0 against Clemson <laughs> since he got anyway. to Virginia Tech. Let's uh, quickly, because um, we, we do have a lot to get through in this podcast. What did you guys make of hearing Brad Cornelson and Justin Hamilton speak with the media yesterday? So in, in full disclosure, I watched Fuente's full press conference. Uh, actually, was, was was part of it, even though I didn't ask any questions. And I watched half of Hamilton's and about five minutes of Cornelson's. So I'm not fully debriefed on things. I will say, and I put this on Twitter about a half an hour before we started the podcast, Hamilton is impressive. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. It's 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 interesting because I've I spent about an hour and fifteen minutes editing the transcription before this podcast started. The transcription of Cornelson and Justin Hamilton. It's so long that I still haven't finished an right. hour and fifteen minutes. And um, kudos to Jake Lyman and Corey Van yeah, Dyke for transcribing. Yeah, they're definitely my best, my favorite people in the world this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to send them Christmas sparkles. Oh, we but, do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but right. uh, hey, Malcolm, take a note. Take a note. Um, <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, Cornelson, you know, he speaks slowly and everything like that, and he's not dynamic, we'll say. But from a written standpoint, he comes across much better than, like, Justin Hamilton. Justin Hamilton talks so much and says so much that in written format, it's really hard to follow and understand what he's saying. Yeah. So it, my, my advice for fans who want, who want to – either read or watch the press conference from yesterday. Read the Brad, Brad Cornelson and watch part the and Justin, watch the Justin Hamilton part. Yeah. Um, and we'll have that up later this afternoon and you can have an opportunity to yeah, do that. Hamilton, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get a man crush or, or, or jump off a cliff or anything, but, the, you know, that, that, that looks like head coach material. To yeah, me. yeah, he speaks like a head coach. He's young, but he looks like head coach material at some point in the future. Yep. Um, I want to bring this up, too, because there were uh, some tweets from former players uh, that got on social media this week. And there was a quote from, excuse me, D'Angelo Hall. And uh, he told Megan Plain, uh, WTKR3, he said, as a former player, as a dad, Virginia Tech right now is not a school I would send my son to. We saw Ike Charlton. We saw a couple others on social media. Antonio Banks. What do you think the reaction has been from the former players? And how is that something with – you know, eight former players on roster that can maybe be fixed. Well, <clears throat> that's one of the things that needs to be fixed. If, if you, if you want to look at, you know, let's not pretend that uh, Justin Fuente's tenure here has been a complete disaster. He, he knows a lot of football. He's a pretty decent coach, won a lot of games, has a winning record overall. Yes, I know they didn't have a winning record this year or two years ago and they broke the bowl streak, yada, yada, yada. 
But overall, he's a pretty sharp guy and knows his football. But there are things that need needs things that need to be fixed, and one of them is the relationship with former players. And I think um, I think that that's that's a that's a two pronged issue. Number one is just the failure to realize that that was important and and do it now. When you're at Memphis, is that important? No, no, that's not important. Right. You get to Virginia Tech and you find out it is important. Right, but. He's never been in a program where that's an, all that important. TCU. Well, 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 how, how many? How many programs? Like I, I feel like Tech's former players are, are very unique. Uh, you knew, you're not uh, wrong. Uh, uh, um, so I, I feel like he shouldn't have known that coming in because it's, you, you it's kind of not like to. that everywhere. You else. would not expect. But somebody needed to tell him, right? So right. Needed, so. Somebody else needed to. Like Frank Beamer always had John Blinn to do all this stuff. For him, uh, Frank Beamer had so many great people around him, and yeah. I don't think Fuente does when it comes to stuff like that. So, so now you realize I need to take care of that part of the of the Virginia Tech football universe. Now it become it becomes a logistics issue. How do you do that? And one of the things that was said was it was in one of the press conferences. What it was it said that that was Daryl Tapp's. Daryl Tapp had to come up with a plan. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. and, and it involved. Go reaching out and for, uh, like physically, yeah, going and, to see him and stuff and, like that. Right, right, and COVID nixed that. And it was uh, J- and Jayham said yesterday that like Fuente had come up with a plan where where they planned to go visit every high school in the state of Virginia. He, I think he right. said every. I, he may have said almost every, but right, I think he some, said yeah, every or the vast majority at least. Yeah, right, pr- pretty like, much. I don't expect him to go to Chatham High School. Right. No, I don't know. But uh, no, what, what, what's close? D- GW Danville's close, right? Yeah. Maybe they'll produce a player here and there. <laughs> Highly doubtful. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, as far as the four former player stuff, former players, like their passion is obvious, and and that can be leveraged, and uh, and I think it's great, and I appreciate them being passionate, but I also. I, I would I would like them to also realize that you know I don't they don't like Justin Fuente or a lot a lot of them don't and I guess a lot of them don't seem to be too keen on Whit Babcock now either but I I think they they need to remember that there's eight former Virginia Tech players on that staff that 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 they're undermining in a certain way like D'Angelo Hall is and Daryl Tapp played together yeah they're close friends. So when D'Angelo Hall says something like, I wouldn't send my son to play for Virginia Tech, he's hurting Daryl Tapp, his friend's recruiting efforts, right? He's hurting Justin Hamilton, who he played with at Virginia Tech. So what if Evan Hughes was to go on Twitter and say, I think all those people criticizing Will and Chris are right. They've got an anti-Fuente agenda, and they need to stop it. Right. I'd be like, Evan, what the heck? What are you doing, man? Right. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Malcolm would be hosting so, this podcast yeah. the next episode. <laughs> so, so you're... Uh, yeah. Nick, Nick Brown. Or Nick, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're, you're hurting Jerron Govea-Winslow. You're hurting uh, Pearson Prelo. Yeah. You're hurting uh, Corey Fuller, one of the Fuller brothers who's in the program right now. And I don't know... I know they don't mean to do that. Because when you're passionate about something, you don't necessarily step back and think at all about all these things, especially these days in the Twitter era. Yeah, that's right. Right? But I, I, I think they need to take a step back and think about all those things that I just said. So how do you fix this? Right. And, you, and, and I have ideas. I did say mm-hmm. it's a logistics issue, right? Sure. Clemson has a position on their staff, on their 138-man football Former staff. Former player relations. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a 
one whole position that exists for creating, uh, developing relationships with, with former Clemson players. And in my opinion, that's a position that needs to exist at, at Virginia Tech. And, and Virginia Tech's got two guys that know a ton of former players. John Boleyn and Bruce Garns are on the state. They, as far as I know, Bruce Garns still works for Virginia Tech. I, I guess. Know, I know he's working with the basketball program. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it should be those guys, but, you know. There's other, and, and I do believe Corey Fuller's role here at Tech involves player relations. Go, Gavea Winslow, I believe, is, is, is the guy there. Or, or it might be Corey. I don't remember. But but still, those guys are also recruiting guys at the same time. I don't, I'm talking about a direct one position that is dedicated to that full time. Yeah. And, uh, like, I don't know that many former players, but, like, I, I know a guy. Like, Dwight Vick is respected by players of all different eras. Yeah. Right? And he's still involved in, in athletics to a certain extent in this in the state of Virginia. I don't know if he'd be interested in something like that. Dwight, if you're watching, if, I'm trying to get you a job here. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I think he would be ideal. And I'm sure there's other guys like that that would be ideal for it. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I say Dwight because I think Dwight understands football and the administration side of it and the coaching side of it while also understanding the players' side of it. And he's that liaison, that guy in between that can communicate and, and with, with both sides. And Dwight's criticism of the program at this point in time has been fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. You know, it, it is. he's not tweeting out things with 14 exclamation points and a bunch of emojis. Right. He has been very uh, articulate and has appeared across a bunch of different forms of media, podcasts and radio shows and things like that. I'm just using Dwight as an example. He's just an example. Yeah, right. Because, you know, I'm sure there, there are some other guys like that that, that could uh, – do a good job in that role. I, I think I think DJ Parker's a fair and balanced. And I think Derek okay. Smith is growing into right, right yeah, yeah. You know, so, and Chad Beasley right. is another And we're name. not saying that anybody we're that we're not naming isn't. But I mean there's hundreds of former players. We can't name them all, but we're just presenting this as an idea that I think could be beneficial. Not not yeah. only not only for the, the you know, just the current staff, but for a future staff, whether Fuente is here for one more year or fifteen more years, I think it's 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 I think it's clear it's clear clear to me at this point that the former players they need that connection. Any well-run football program should have that as part of their effort. Now, a guy I wouldn't put in charge of it is Jeff Holland. He's crazy. He's Don't a put he all <laughs> that guy. God, yeah, one yeah. of our best <laughs> podcasts we've ever done. <laughs> so. I'm going to ask this question. I would as well, I'll ask, what would you guys do? What, what's the most important thing for Justin Fuente next? We could spend the rest of the podcast talking about that. I'm going to ask you guys, though, the most important thing for Justin Fuente to do after being retained, he's got next season, he's got his staff in place, what's the next big step that he must take for this program? It, it is a uh, point that Chris and I have been bringing up, particularly Chris, and it is a point that Justin himself brought up in, in his uh, uh, press conference. Consistency of effort. He phrases it as consistency, and the way Chris and I phrase it is buy-in. Um, he talked about what, what, looking at that UVA game, and we all looked at – let's boil it down to the UVA game. If the team that played against UVA had played every single game all year long, they wouldn't be five and six. I don't know they might win – they might have seven wins. Wake and Liberty wins. for sure. Maybe Miami. Oh, three more? Yeah. Three more. So you're, so you're, you're, you're feeling eight, a lot better at eight and three, you're aren't you? You're at eight and three, yeah. and your program's in the right direction. So he knows in his heart of hearts that he's got to figure that one out. Everybody else wants to say recruiting. Well, recruiting is a slow burn. If if they're not at mm, – 
they are not in a good place right now, in my opinion, with recruiting. They would argue that with me, and I'm not belittling any of the players that they sign. Mm-hmm. They got some pretty interesting prospects. They've signed really big athletic guys, but recruiting is a is an ocean liner. Buy-in is something. Sometimes it just takes one off season to fix, and and you know, and I can give you two examples: 1992 to 1993, the buy-in increased. 2003 mm-hmm. to 2004. Let me, like- let, let me jump in real quick, actually, because I want to I want to go off that. Let me phrase this to you: most important thing for Justin Winter right now, and is there any similarities from 1992? to right now that could be fixed in the offseason from 92 to 93 to 2020 to 2021. Uh, yeah, and in fact, I've got my Turn Up the Wick book right there open to the page. It's sitting on my desk because I've been reading it. Did you know the hardcover is only about 7 bucks on Amazon? Wow, really? Yeah, they, yeah. I, I looked at it the other it's day. It's a book every Tech fan sh- should read yeah. um, just for historical perspective on the program. You know, Frank Beamer came out and said he dedicated a whole chapter to fixing the program after 1992 when Virginia Tech went 2-8-1. and eight and one. And he, he uh, yeah, let me see it. This might be a, take a second to find. Um, and and to, to sum it up, he Frank, you know, and the famous stat is if football games were 55 minutes long, that 92 team would have been 7-4. and four. And Frank sat down and asked the question, why can't we finish games? And it came down to one word, discipline. Yeah, and here's the quote. Uh, this was after he met, after, the, after he changed coaching staffs after 92. So he cleaned out the coach. Not cleaned out. I think he brought Pretty in much, like three yeah. Newmans, three new ones plus El Mashian. El Mashian. Uh, I met with my new staff and we scrutinized every single thing we did in our program. I said, "Okay, why can't we finish a game? Why can't we get this thing done?" And it and it always kept coming back to the same thing: we needed discipline. And uh, you know, consistency during a season goes back to consistency during the off season and discipline during the off season. And uh, I actually like our recruiting class this year, Virginia Tech's recruiting class this year. I think there's a lot of raw athletes that it will take them two or three years to develop, but I think there's a lot of high ceilings in there. And it's something to be excited about if I was 100% convinced that every single one of them was going to come in here, be bought in, and they're in the right nutrition, strength department, everything and like stay. that. stay. Because Alan, right, because Alan Tisdale was the exact, Alan Tisdale was very similar to like a number of these guys in this recruiting class, right? But three years into his career, he's actually four pounds smaller than he was when he enrolled. So I'm, I can get excited about a lot of these guys in this class if I knew they were coming into a great situation where they were definitely going to be developed. And you see development in a lot of positions in this program, but you don't, uh, you don't see it at every position across the board. You see it on the offensive line. You see it at most offensive positions, but, but – you know, and Frank Beamer actually went to Bobby Ross and got 20 key steps to a seven-game turnaround, which is the increase in wins from one year to the next. So Bobby Ross, a list of 20 Bobby Ross is probably the best coach in the history of football that you've never heard of. I was about to say, I've never, never heard of him. Okay, well, well he uh, won a national championship at Georgia he Tech. He won the national championship at Georgia Tech in 1990. Uh, he got the Chargers to the Super Bowl mm. where, uh, uh, you know, they happened to run into Steve Young and Jerry Rice. Other than that, they probably won the, won the Super Bowl. He won with the Detroit Lions. And as a lot of Detroit Lions fans know, that's very difficult to, to do. Right. I mean, this guy is a great coach. So Frank Beamer, basically, he didn't hire Bobby Ross after after this season. Um, but he, he reached out to him and said, what do you think I should do? He used, he used his he, – Bobby Ross was Frank Beamer's Jerry Kill, right? 
Right. And then Phil Amash, so he got the ideas from Bobby Ross, and then Phil Amashin came in to execute the ideas. And Virginia Tech just became a much more disciplined program in the offseason. And we have a ton of ideas. Will, Will brought up one earlier, you know, guys who say, oh, we can't practice this week, but then when it comes to game day, oh, they're, they're magically fine and they can play. Well, that ticks people off. That takes, that takes other, other players, other players off. off who are buying in and working hard every single day. Um, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in high school, the most talented player on our team, you know, we'd get out of school in June, but you wouldn't see him again until practice started in August. Never come to the weight room, anything like that. We're in there busting our tails, and, you know, he's not there. And a few other guys were like that too. And I remember one day I was getting my ankle taped up in the morning to get ready for practice because I had a sprained ankle. And uh, sitting there on the table in the on the table in the coach's office, and this guy is apparently in the process of quitting the team, and and the coach is on the phone with him while I'm getting my ankle taped up, like basically like trying to talk him into staying on the team and everything like that. And I'm just sitting there thinking, no, let him go. He doesn't work hard enough. He doesn't deserve to be on the team, right? So I go into that season. It's plenty of that stuff going on, and. Uh, you go into the season and you're kind of all already demoralized to a certain extent because of things like that as a player. And if you're a bought-in player, they don't like things like that. And I swear that's what's happened with Doug Nestor, possibly. Um, I just, you just see so many guys. and it's, So here's a suggestion. Here's a suggestion to find out who's hurt and who's not. <laughs> um, this is going to be good. Oh. As Chris is oh, flipping through oh, the oh, book. Okay. It's never good for morale when some of your players are working their butts off in practice and others aren't. Sometimes guys might be a little sore and they might beg out of a drill. So this is what we started doing. If for any reason you dropped out of a practice or conditioning period, you had to see the trainer at 6.15 the next morning. If the guys are legitimately hurt, we of course want them in there for therapy. But if you're treading that thin line where your hamstring might be a little sore and you're thinking about dropping out, maybe you might think, "Ah, if I do that, I have to go get treatment at 6.15 tomorrow morning. That'll let you know who's who's hurt and who's injured because there is a difference. Right. So it's it's little things like that that I don't think are going on that, that I think everybody sees third down calling. Everybody sees third down defense. Right. Well, I think maybe that third down defensive call might help might work if all the defensive players were adequately at the right weight and everything like that. You know, so it's little things like that. And I'm, I'm going to write about all these in the offseason. Yeah. That's just one example. So so let me jump in and say um I think part of what people may have been looking for from the press conferences this week that disappointed them is, you know, Frank had his his 20-point plan. Well, it wasn't like Frank published it in a newspaper. (laughs) He didn't put it in the Roanoke Times. You know, whatever Fuente and Babcock have worked on, whatever Fuente's worked on with his staff, you're not going to know about it publicly. But it does need to bear fruit. And one of the things I said in my article yesterday was, so Frank's on the chopping block. It's 2-8-1, and and he barely keeps his job. And the next year, the the improvement was profound. Um, they started by beating, and I, and I remember this. I tried to find this uh, newspaper article, but I couldn't. I had a clipping from the Roanoke Times of of Tech's opener the uh, the next year. They beat Bowling Green thirty three to sixteen at home. And I remember the the article in a Richmond Times Dispatch. I lived in Charlottesville, so I used to get that paper because the Daily Progress never covered Virginia Tech. So I used to go buy the Richmond Times Dispatch, <laughs> and the the 
article about beating uh, um, Bowling Green started with one word, better. Virginia Tech's coaches and players promised they would be better this year, and on Saturday they were. Then they roll out there. They go up to uh, Pittsburgh the very next weekend. And to tell you where I was as a fan, by the end of that 2-8-1 and one campaign, I didn't even go to the last home game that year because I knew what was going to happen. And sure enough, Southern Miss beat Virginia Tech on a late field goal 13-12. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad I didn't travel and watch that. And then I did go see the Bowling Green game at home the beginning of the next year, but I didn't even listen to the Pittsburgh game on the radio. So I'm just hanging out doing whatever, and the bottom line scrolls across ESPN, Virginia Tech 63, Pitt 21. I thought, what? You have moments in life where you're like, is that a misprint? That was me in the Temple game in 1998. Yeah, it was everybody in the Temple game in 1998. <laughs> so um, that pretty much quieted the naysayers pretty quickly. You could tell yep. something was different. And I, I hope and wish for Justin Fuente that he has a moment like that early next year. All right. So he's going to have an opportunity to have a moment like this. Oh, is there some breaking news? No, no. I'm looking okay. at next year's schedule. Right. Assuming the schedule stays this way. Yeah. But let's go ahead and say for a second that it does. Okay. September 11th. Uh, well, what's, what's the first game, though? It looks like that is the first. It's the first one listed. They'll schedule one before that. Unless, so it's going to have to be an ACC game. Could be. Because we've already got four non-conference games okay. listed. So we might open up with you know, Miami or UNC or somebody like that. But let's assume, let's just say right now September 11th is the opener. Right, Middle Tennessee State. All right, so there's your uh, Bowling Green. Right. right. Next week on the road. In a, in a place that's very, very, very close to Pittsburgh, actually. Morgantown, West Morgantown, Virginia. Morgantown, West Virginia. Yep, yep. And then you come back against Richmond at home. October 9th, you've got Notre Dame at home. So we're going to know by October 9th, by, you know, how, how much better this football team is and probably what's going to happen. Uh, so, Yeah. We're, we're, this we'll, Tech will have at least one very early season test next well, year. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if it was September 4th, Boston College. Well, that's true. <laughs> but, you know. Hey, you know what? If, if Tech plays well and wins, I'll take it, right? So it, sh- it should be noted, though, that after doing that to Pittsburgh, within the next couple of weeks, they lost a close one to West Virginia 14-13 at WVU on a missed late field goal. And that was back when West Virginia uh, – God, well, West Virginia won unbeaten in 1990. Yeah, that was the year they, they played Notre Dame, I think, for a national championship, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you just read, don't lose to Middle Tennessee State and don't lose to Richmond. As a matter of fact, curb stomple. Right, right. And then win one of those right. other two. And and people will go, huh. And, and, and you know, look, look like a tough football team to it. In every right. single right. If you If you lose to Notre Dame because Notre Dame has more talent, that okay, that's fine. You can't help that to a certain extent. I yeah. mean, Notre Dame's going to be in the, might be in the playoffs this year. They're yeah. a really, really good team. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just the first month of the season, look the part, act the part. Right. And, yeah. What's the name of that book, Chris? 
Turn up the wick. And we are going to continue to turn up the wick. On I bet Frank Bieber never thought he would be getting book reviews 20 years after he wrote this. Man, it's, it's been 20 years. It has. We're going to step aside for a break here on episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we've got to talk a little bit about the transfer portal, the recruiting class, the bowl streak being over, and Virginia Tech men's basketball, all before we get to your questions. We're an hour in. We've got more great content coming up on episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Welcome back into episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by Campus Emporium and the Southeast Regional Training Center. Evan Hughes alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. So great to have you with us. Again, if you're watching on YouTube right now, be sure to hit the like and subscribe button. Please help us out. And if you have a question for Will or Chris, we will get to them at the end of the show. All right, a little bit more news that came out this week. Of course, we talked about Whit Babcock's decision to keep Coach Justin Fuente, things that he can do in the offseason to improve the program. One of the other big pieces of news that came out of this week is that Virginia Tech, the players met, and they have decided to not go to a bowl game this year if they were to receive an invitation. It'll snap the nation's longest active bowl streak of 27 consecutive years. Chris, what did you make of the players' decision to opt out of a bowl game? You know, I'm sure some were for it and some were against it. Um, everybody on the post-game radio show said they were for it, but, you know, you, you're not going to have a player get on the radio and say, oh, I don't want to go to a bowl well, game. It was right? the euphoria of the moment. Right, right exactly. Um, I'm not too surprised by it. I, I, I don't know how players get tested as far as the methods go, but – I certainly hope it's not the one where they stick that thing up your nose and go all the way down. Can you imagine having to do that three times a week? I think I'd be done with it by now, too. Rather, and they've, they've been away from their families. Yeah. And I think for me personally, like, if if we could have gotten the Boca Raton Bowl on December 22nd before Christmas and Tech could have actually gone down there and spent a few days on a beach, socially distanced, of course, <laughs> as a reward for – a trying season for everyone. And, and this like, is when the bowl game is truly a reward right, for having right. gotten through this season. Right, exactly. Uh, so, like, like we haven't said this, but, like, I appreciate everybody playing this year. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that's, that's not a – that's a horrible situation, to be quite frankly. To, to be uh, – and it's not only, like, playing, but it's, like, people sitting back judging you for, like, if you get COVID or things like that. You know, that, that's a tough situation to be in if, you, if, you're, if you're that age. Um so I appreciate what they did. So I would have been in favor of them going to a bowl. Like I think if I was a player and you told me you can go to the Boca Raton Bowl, uh, oh okay, I can go down to Miami. Basically. Is that a Caribbean island? No, so, it's yeah, a beach right. in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sit on the beach for a few days. Even I was thinking, like I need a vacation, right? When I first heard an ACC team might end up in the Boca Raton Bowl, I'm like. I haven't been to a game this Chris year. Chris is going to work the Ma- game. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to go to the Boca Raton Bowl. But, <laughs> but, Chris's uh, eyes light up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but BYU went to the Bo- Boca Raton Bowl instead, and they're going to have a great time, I'm sure. I guess you see the, the, the other options for Tech, thing. like the Military Bowl, the Military Bowl, you wouldn't travel to it. It, it, it. You would go up on a bus the day before the game. It'd be just like a road game. Stay in a hotel the night before, and then you come back. Right, empty uh, stadium. No, yeah, no yeah. Uh, shopping spree. You, no, you, you know, the, and, the, and the, you, you stay over empty Blacksburg with ice and snow 
over Christmas and and, I, I, and after everything you've already been through this year. So I'm not surprised and I don't blame them. And not um, to mention the time off this year between your last game and the bowl games is a lot shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're getting tested again. Like you said, there's uh, multiple right. times. I mean, that, multiple that's, multiple uh, times a week. So like as far so like, and what said yesterday is like, I don't know if we're interested in having a bowl streak with an asterisk. It would have been a five and six bowl team. Right. So uh, I, uh, I don't judge them for it. Nah. Um, I would have been excited to go to the Book of Raton Bowl myself. But. Now, you can make the argument, and some have made this, you can make the argument in air quotes that it is, again, air quotes, disrespectful to everyone who has put so much into establishing that bowl streak. Right. And, uh, and, and I think that's a fair viewpoint. It is. I'm not going to hold it over. The current players and coaches, this is a really different year. And I get it, and lots of teams are choosing the same thing. And it's one thing – it's one of those things where you do either one as a team. Like, like at first I was like, well, maybe they just put a scratch group of players together and go down there and, or wherever and play. And then I'm like, no, nah, that's just too divisive because you come back and in, this, in January and those guys who elected not to play in the bowl game come back and the guys who – did play your back and and the guys who did play are like oh, i hope you all enjoyed your vacation while we were busting busting our butts and trying to play a football game without you right so that could lead to too much dissension so whatever you decide you do as a team you know you guys have brought up the fact that bowl games are so important to player development typically you get two to three weeks of practice time but it's kind of different in. It, it's kind of different though it's just it's december 17th right you'd practice this week maybe play a bowl game next week it's not your typical Three it, three and a half it, it, weeks right, of practice. You're right, and a lot of times in the past, Tech has used that time before Christmas for player development, and then the week after Christmas is geared towards oh, preparing for the bowl game itself. Man, I remember the the one year where Frank got caught with his pants down was the 2007 Orange Bowl, <laughs> and, and and I remember this profoundly because I studied it uh, that year. That was a loss to Kansas, correct? That was a loss to Kansas, and what happened. Um, that year was that that Mark Mangino had had built Kansas into something that was pretty darn good. Um, I think they were close to the Kansas, they, they, they the, were like number two in the country. It's at amazing one point, to I hear think. Kansas in the top five. Kansas, by the Kansas way. Just, Missouri was like at the end of the year was like number two versus number three. Yeah, so, and they so, had national championship implications. So Kansas had ridden had risen to these these pretty lofty heights for them, and the newspaper articles of the day. And and remember, BeamerBall.com existed back then. So Virginia Tech, Frank Beamer's staff laid out in BeamerBall.com what they were doing to <laughs> the, prepare the, for the bowl. The entire practice schedule from the end of the season. And yeah. there was a newspaper article about what Kansas was doing that laid out what they were doing. And Kansas basically practiced hard for two to three weeks for that game. Whereas Frank did what he always does. He sent the, he sent the seniors home, worked with his younger players, they kind of came back a little bit before the game and prepped for the game for a week and, and just got got rocked. And by the time they figured out what was going on, it was too late. They were down something like 17 to nothing. Yeah. Uh, no real point there, just a history lesson. Again, 27 consecutive years of a bowl game. I mean, so, since Malcolm and I have been alive, Virginia Tech has been a bowl every single year yeah. of our lives. Who do you think the bowl streak meant more to? Players, Virginia Tech, football program, or fans? I think it. I think to the 
older players, like the 1993 through up until recent, uh, I, I think it meant a lot to them. I think it meant a lot to the fans. I don't think it necessarily means a lot for the program. I, it, I would I would agree with that. Um, um, what was the other option? I was, Virginia Tech, like university. No, right? university. I, no, no, I don't uh, – you know, Virginia Tech football used to be huge for the university, and I'm not saying it's not because it is, but, you know, Virginia Tech used to – remember after the 1999 season, Tech went unbeaten, and more people applied to Virginia Tech that year than any other year, right? Because there were a lot of people across the country didn't know what Virginia Tech was. Right, exactly. Now they do. Now they do. And now, you know, Virginia Tech also set a record, I believe, last year for most applications after a 6-7 and seven season, right? So it just doesn't – it doesn't have the sway anymore. Virginia Tech is itself as a university is much more nationally appealing. It doesn't need to stand on the football program anymore. So uh, I think I think it's the players and the fans would be the answer for that. Yeah, and and I think and and even the fans, it's probably diminished over time because uh, you know, I mean, I went to the Peach Bowl in '86 and then didn't didn't get to go to another bowl until the Independence Bowl in '93. And and for a while, me and my friend group, we went to every bowl game. We, we granted the '95 Sugar Bowl is special, but we took 35 people in our group to that to that bowl game. But that kind of stuff started to drop off over the years as you realize, man, we're doing this every year. It really isn't that special. And in 1993, as I've said before, there were 19 bowl games, so 38 teams went. And by a few years ago, I think there were 41 bowl games. Yeah, you, you know, there were some bowls that teams that were going five and seven. If there weren't enough six and six teams, they were taking teams that went five and I was, seven. I remember, I remember going to the uh, Orange Bowl the next year against Cincinnati. I drove down. Yeah, you it. drove all the way down. And I had a couple friends who were going to go, and then they backed out, and I had already got in the hotel room. So I still went by myself. Chris drove his Mustang all the uh, way down to Miami. Have my, I didn't have my Mustang then. Really? Did you check the Grand Prix? Yeah, yeah. I didn't buy the Mustang until three years Grand Prix later. or Grand Am? Grand Prix. Grand, no. Pontiac Grand Prix. Okay. Yep. And drove it all the way down there. Got to the stadium the next day. And it's like, there weren't that many people at that game. And I'm just like, am I going to actually know anybody here? Because I went all the way down there. Like, I originally made the plans to go with friends. And they backed out at the last second. Right. So I went. I'm like, sure, I'll know somebody down there. Once I get there, it'll be fine. And I look around. and like, no. You know who I ran into? It was like like Brownwater from our message boards. Yeah. Ended up tailgating with him. I feel like, Chris, uh, if I, if you were at a game by yourself, you could just go to Twitter and say, I'm at a bowl game by myself. Who wants to watch me? <laughs> it was 2008. It was 2008. <laughs> it's a good point. Twitter was yeah. just in its infancy. Yeah, my cell phone was like that big. <laughs> Twitter wasn't taking pictures back then. It was just text. Yeah, right. 140 That's, characters, um, just text. Again, so that was another, again, hard to believe, right? So we're an hour and 10 minutes in this podcast, and it took us this long to cover that big of news, right? It just goes to show how much has been going on this week that the bowl street will not be continued also uh this week it has been announced that offensive lineman brian hudson and offensive lineman doug nester doug nester have entered the transfer portal both were four stars in the 2018 recruiting class will how big of a loss is it for the offensive line if both do not return after entering the transfer portal chris knows the depth well, chart better than well, i well well, well the first place my mind goes, and I bet you're about to say the same thing, is Nestor was a big-time recruit who flipped from Ohio State to Virginia Tech because of a four-hour in-home meeting Six with hour. Fuente. Six-hour in-home meeting with Fuente. What happened to that relationship? Right. 
and, right. I, and, and I'm not being accusatory. I'm saying it may still be a good relationship and it may be other things. I don't think he's transferring because he doesn't like Justin Fuente. I think the players like Justin Fuente, fine. You could see it at the end of the UVA game, yeah. right? But liking someone and like, I don't I just don't think he runs a tight ship. Like, I think if he was a little more hard on them, fewer would like him, but more would respect him. Right. And I think respect is more important than being liked. I mean, I got, went back and read that SI article this past week or last week about how after the 2018 season, the players had specific requests about turkey bacon and all that stuff. But one of one of the requests was apparently less grueling off-season workouts. Yeah. So basically, oh, we don't want to work as hard is what that comes across as. And he granted that. And I think they've liked him more since, but we also – haven't been very good at football, right? So, uh, so I think he's got to crack crack the whip on some dudes, and I think dudes like Nestor are going to work hard naturally, and maybe they see he sees some other guys that aren't quite buying in. It's like I told like the story I told earlier, yeah. and it gets frustrating. And from a depth depth chart standpoint. What, is, what does that mean? Oh, those it, two gone. Christian Darrisaw is going to well, be a first-round pick. A lot of depth. They, they, but they both play right guard. So your number one right guard and your number two right guard. And by and, the way, Austin Cannon's graduating. Te- technically speaking, he's your number three right guard, right? So I think Tech knew Tech knew that Nestor was going to leave. They only played him eleven snaps. It was mostly the Hudson and Cannon show at right guard the other night. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Um, like maybe they were trying to get Hudson to stay. I don't know. Well, Hudson was the one who didn't play the week before, right? Right, right. Because he had opted out, and but then cut, came back. He didn't know what he was going to do. So Hudson's been, and this wasn't public knowledge, but Hudson's been kind of flip-flopping recently anyway right and i i i I think about each of those two guys differently and i wish we could keep both they were both highly talented kids i mean hudson had offers from like lsu and bama and people like that great recruiting job by people say virginia tech can't recruit that's a broad overarching statement that isn't necessarily always accurate because guys like that are in the program right and those guys could have gone anywhere they wanted, and they came to Virginia Tech, and now you lose both of them. And it's it's a bad look, especially when, you know, right after you decided to, you know, retain your coach to a certain extent. Um, and, oh, by the way. <laughs> right. Oh, by the way. Yeah, here comes. Two guys into the transfer. Right, quarter. exactly. Now, Whit Babcock was absolutely right in his statement the other day when he said, you know, Tech fans, this is a new era, and it's not like – it's never going to be like – it used to be again. I mean, guys are going to enter the portal. That's part of it these days, and he's absolutely right. But the Nestor one bothers me because unless he, there's some kind of home situation that I don't know about, he was a starter, and he was being developed. Like you can't say Vance Vice can't develop offensive linemen. So Nestor was on his way to the NFL most likely, and now he's leaving. Even though he was being developed properly and he was and getting plenty of playing getting time. plenty of playing time, he's still leaving, and that's a problem. Uh, the, the Hudson situation was awkward because his parents and or his mom and like Brock Hoffman's mom got into it on Twitter, and I, I don't I don't want to detail that or anything because it's none of my business, and I, I'm going to say who's and it doesn't fault re- it, is it doesn't reflect well on anybody. It doesn't reflect well on anybody. And or at least none of the parents, and you know, poor Hudson is lining up right next to Brock Hoffman, 
And he has a going, well, and he's also the backup. You're right, right. Apparently, our parents are at each other's throats, right? That's just mm-hmm. an extremely awkward situation, <laughs> and I, it's not I'm a situation anybody wants I to be a part of. I just picture Hoffman going. Yeah, when you try to pass that defensive tackle off to me, I'm going to go over here instead, and you're going to like. No, right, I'm right, right. I'm just kidding. Right. I don't but, think Hoffman would do that. No, he wouldn't. But 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 it's that's too awkward. I mean, something was going to give there most likely, and right. I feel bad for both guys. It, I'm going to tell another high school story here. <laughs> we had a we had a player on our team whose dad hated the coach, and he would stand, not sit, but stand up the, in the, the stands. The dad would. Yeah. Okay. Stand up in the stands. During during games, and you could just hear him yelling at the coach. You could hear everyone. God, he I was love saying. those parents so much. And I could hear it on the sideline. Everybody on the team could hear it. His son could hear it. The coach could hear it. It was just so. I felt I felt bad for his kid. I felt bad for the coach. And I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, as a parent, like, are you even thinking about what your actions are doing to your kid and how awkward it's making for him? No. R- right. Right. So I, I cannot I even begin to explain that. So the, oh, by the way, this was the same season. The, of the incident the that I was, yeah, we All were, right. we were a mess. Seven of us quit after that season. It was a mess. So did you play your senior year? No, no, okay. no I was tired of stuff like that, man. It right. was just, a, it was just a bad environment that I didn't want to be around. Anymore. I quit cause I wasn't good at football <laughs> <laughs> and I never played cause I realized I wasn't athletic. Well, I, there we go. I was hurt a lot my junior year and then things like that were happening like that all the time. Happened, yeah. So I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, and so situations like that, they're always awkward. So I hate to lose both guys because they're both really talented players. And, uh, Ideal, like if Darisol wasn't going to leave, then you just say, okay, that's fine. You move Janzi inside to right guard. He's not quite as good as Nestor, but he's still a good option there. But now, you know, you probably move him to left tackle or Tanuta to left tackle. Uh, so it just it hurts. And not it's to mention the person thinner, who is uh, running behind that offensive line, Cleo Herbert. Uh, you uh, know, looks like he's going to the NFL. So um, let's transition here quickly. Uh, we have talked about on on podcasts before individual players who have committed to this class. So uh, signing day was yesterday. Of course, the traditional national signing day will be on Wednesday, February 3rd in 2021. But um, Virginia Tech welcomed 25 players from 11 different states, uh, as well as one player from Germany to the class. Um, (laughs) expected. And uh, there were six players from Virginia. Of course, a couple of notable players included tight end Jack Hollyfield, younger brother of Dax Hollyfield, and Jalen Stroman. There's a DB and the younger sibling of a current Washington football team player, Greg Stroman. So we're not going to get into individual players. Of course, Taj Bullock is somebody who headlines this class, the quarterback. Quickly, just quick observations, because I know you guys have been so tied up and everything else going on. Mm-hmm. What did you make of this class? And was there anything, any player that jumps out at you about this class? I wish Tech had signed another defensive tackle. Maybe they still will between now and February. And now, first thing I want to note is like, that could still sign more guys between now and February. Right. The complete story hasn't been written yet. I, I, I would like one more defensive tackle and one more offensive lineman. I also fully realize that Tech's already over the limit, right? So I don't even. I'm not even sure how that applies to schools this year. I, I don't even know how it's going to yeah. work. But um, to full class, um, they oversigned at certain positions because they currently lack depth at those positions. Now, I'll say this. If you look on uh, 247 Sports, 24-7 Sports, and you go into the team rankings, I did this yesterday. Virginia Tech is listed as having 26 signees, regardless of what the press release says. They're listed as having 26 signees, uh, ranked number 42 in the country or something like that. 
Uh, Florida, who's a top 10 recruiting class, has 26 signees. And every other school in the top 98 has fewer. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the biggest classes in the country. Now, the weird thing is you get up to number 99 and 100, and that's like Air Force and Army, and they're listed as having – one of them's listed as having 55 signees. (laughs) I'm not sure sure what's going on with the database there. (laughs) But you get up through number 98, and only – and two schools have 26 signees, and they're Virginia Tech and Florida. So – on the whole, like I like the class. I'm not going to get wrapped up in the fact that it's 40 second, 40, 40 second, 40 Something second, like that. whatever, or 10th or 11th in the ACC or whatever it is. I see a lot of guys in this class that are developable, developable that I really like. I see a lot of really raw athletes. See some good players. Potential um, for redshirt. Lots of potential just for redshirt. To- <laughs> lots, and uh, it's gonna it's it's great. I'm surprised Love you weren't wearing a red shirt, by the way. But I also want to remind people that, you know, Virginia Tech just went five and six with a football team that mostly is made up from three straight borderline top 25 recruiting. Mid-20s recruiting yeah, yeah, classes. Right. So just if we signed a top 25 class this year, everybody would be happy. They'd be happier than they are right now with a 42nd ranked class, but that clearly that doesn't guarantee success, right? So to me, it's how are these guys going to be developed? I think this class can be productive class for the football on the football field at Virginia Tech if everybody's developed properly. Yep, that's my take on it. All right. So for those that are watching right now, wondering why are we not getting to questions yet? Well, don't worry. We see your questions. We're going to get to your questions. But we just got a lot to unpack on episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. For the first time today, we are going to transition from talking about Virginia Tech football to talking about Virginia Tech basketball because how could we forget to talk about a bounce-back win against a top 25 team on Tuesday night inside of Castle Coliseum. 66-60 Virginia Tech with a week off after their 20-point loss to Penn State. Beat number 24, Clemson, 66-60. to Hokies are now 5-1 and one on the season. Uh, they, they they open up ACC play with a win against the Tigers. Mike Young is now 3-0 and against the Tigers and is proclaimed the Tiger King. Uh, Will, this was a – it started off very slow offensively. They root for both teams, yeah. Hokies committed a season high, 16 turnovers in like the game. Like 11 in the first half or something like but that. But they, they find a way to get it done mm. with making less than 10 threes. What did you make of Tech's win against Clemson? So uh, this was very much what was needed after that Penn State disaster. Um, and it's not just that they beat a ranked Clemson team. That's nice. But what it looked like to me is what's what was important. They – they were aggressive. Virginia Tech was aggressive. They uh, can you look up and see how many free throws they took because they went they went uh, to the uh, at one point they were twenty of twenty five. That's where they won the free won the game twenty five of thirty one. That's where they won the game. Thirty one. So clearly they do practice free throws, right? Now, now I'd have to <laughs> I'd have to go look at the game by game stats, but thirty one free throws for a Mike Young team at Virginia Tech is unusual. It wasn't unusual for Buzz. Um, but but that that's a lot of guys getting to the line, which is one of the things Virginia Tech needed. And they just they were tough on defense. They were they were tough on the boards. Tyrese Radford set the tone, you know. And and to me, that's the most important thing about that win. It's not that they won, but the way they looked. I, I, I missed his donk live because I was getting eighteen thousand texts about Justin Fuente. Right. And I was right. looking at my phone, and all of a sudden, I heard the announcers going crazy, Whoa. and I was like, oh. But. Uh, and that, and that dunk is on on YouTube. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I thought it was a good win. Um, 
I think Clemson's a they're a very good defensive team, and I, that's probably the most anybody scored on Clemson. It was they were av- uh, allowing teams fifty one points right. per game going in. The the big thing to me though is uh, this is the first time at home this year that Tech has come out and had energy from from the very beginning. yeah yeah. And it's just so different playing at home this year, especially from basketball, in my opinion. And uh, I think it's, t- it's took taking them a while to figure that out and uh, and create their own juice, as, as Mike Young likes to uh, likes to say. But they did it against Clemson, and, and it was important that they figure that out sooner rather than later because the schedule after the next two games is about to be a bear, man. Yeah. Uh, a couple of notes in the game. I, I found it interesting. So Clemson. Uh, and all five of their wins going into the game had scored 25 or more off the bench. And the Hokies held them to, I believe, eight points mm-hmm. with their players so, off the bench. So all those crazy little stats that you see at the bottom of box scores, like bench points, second chance points, fast break points, Virginia Tech won every single one of those battles the other night against Clemson. Yeah, even at one point where they had a lot more turnovers than Clemson, they were still winning the points, points off, off of turnovers. turnovers. I was like 17-9 to nine overall. Yeah, it wasn't even game. close, actually. Yeah, yeah, Tech had 17 <clears throat> turnovers, and Clemson only scored nine points off of them. Yeah. yeah, also only two players played over 30 minutes in the game against Clemson. And the one who played the most only had four minutes on the bench, Tyrese Radford. Uh, 36 minutes, team high, 15 points, and maybe the play of the game, that and oh, one man. flush of a you dunk. Know, you can and, talk about depth all you want and how many guards you have available to play or how many stars Joe Bamisil had uh, in his name as a recruit. But it's really hard to take Tyrese Radford off the court, isn't it? It is, and – and he's he's the Jamon Gordon type, you know, just brings so much to the team. And statistically, Jamon brought us. Let's not let's not pretend that I'm. Uh, the, he brings so much to the team that doesn't show up in the box score. Well, that's not true. It shows up in the box score. Jamon <laughs> yeah. used to fill the the stat sheet, and and um, Tyrese can do a little bit of the same. But he definitely brings an attitude. Yeah, I mean, any any. He's he's got to wear a mouthpiece for goodness sake. Right? <laughs> That's, uh, he's busting people so hard out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, coming up for Virginia Tech and uh, men's basketball, they've got two non-conference games: Coppin State December nineteenth, Longwood December twenty-first, and then Miami and Virginia. What would you like to see from the team against Coppin State and Longwood? Would you like to see the young players get some minutes? That would be nice. I really I like what I'm seeing from uh, David Gesson. I think he's a very yeah. he's a very talented player. He, he I don't think a, anybody would have picked him to be the freshman who was getting the most minutes. But know. but he is. Isn't but, he? Who's leading the team in assists? Is it Justin Mutz? I'm not sure. That, that doesn't shock me. That's uh, a, Mutz. Oh, he had a great one when he was on the floor, <laughs> laying on the floor. Yeah, he was, was great. Yeah. Um, um, but but guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing is skilled. And yeah. he, he's he's filled out more than I thought he would be at this stage, and I really like his future a lot. Um, so yeah, it would be nice to uh, get a guy like Bamasil uh, some minutes and, and guessing some more minutes. Uh, and Matt Maddox isn't as far along as those guys, but uh, you know, it would be nice to get them those guys some actual minutes before ACC play starts. Save some wear and tear on the starters too. But uh, the but I want to see conti- Virginia Tech continue to come out ready to play at home like they did against yeah. Clemson as opposed to their first three games. So, uh, so, so these next two games, who was it? Coppin State and, and Longwood. They're both one and five. Okay, come out, smack them in the mouth. It's over by halftime. 
You know, show don't, me don't that, mess and then let and then let's say the ACC play. Justin Mutz leads the team in assists with 16, followed by Tyrese Radford with 15, and then will be in third with 13 right. assists. Right. So assists, they're kind of spread out, but we've said the system is the point guard. Is right. What we've said. Right. The system is the point guard. And the other notable uh, thing we have to talk about Hokies men's basketball before we transition to your questions is that Mike Young did announce in his post game press conference that Cartier Jada at the time at the moment has opted out um, of the season Jada the transfer from Kansas State uh, was averaging uh, just seven and a half points per game two and a half rebounds per game had nine assists uh, he's a veteran a grad transfer but there's a lot of players uh, and there's a lot of depth as we've talked about yeah Chris, but he, he has a skill set you're going to miss the, yeah the ability to go to the basket and defend the other team like we're talking there's so many guys on this team and he's one of them that's either in their first or second year in the system and so there are times this year where that system's going to bog down from lack of a play. And from they lack need of a guy to get to the rim. They need a guy who can get his own shot, right? And now they're as long as he's going to be out, there's one less guy. There's one less guy who can do that. Uh, actually, I know a guy who knows him. I go to the gym with a guy who knows Shada and says, so "Nice guy, you'd like him a lot. Real unique guy." That's <laughs> what, what, what I understand. But uh, you know. I don't begrudge anybody the decisions they make like that this year, you know, especially yeah. when you see when you look down on what's happened to the kid at Florida. And I don't think we have any idea if that's COVID related or not, but I mean, it does it does if you're a player, maybe that does put something in your, in, in your head, you know. So, I don't begrudge any of these guys there. And we'll see where it goes. Their decisions. Yeah. I hope he comes back, but if he doesn't, I uh I'm not going to hold it against him. And then the Hokies finish the 2020 part of the season against Miami, and then January 2nd they go to John Paul Jones to take on Virginia. So that's what's uh, coming up. That's, Hokies are that's tough. That's a tough stretch. Uh, so now no Miami did lose to Pitt the other night, right? They Last did. Night. Um, and, and Pitt's getting better. They are. They, they are getting better. Under Jeff Capel. Um, the thing is, like some ACC games are tougher than others, but it's so weird. Like I've never like not been happy about an ACC basketball win. I'm, don't get me wrong, I've never not been happy about an ACC football win either. But every time you play an ACC basketball game, you know there's a chance you can lose, right? Yeah. Except for maybe those like Owens 18 Boston College teams back in the day. But but when Tech was at their peak in football, you went into every game and you're like, we're just going to smack. They're going to beat Duke. They're going to kill Duke. Right, right, exactly. And for basketball, like even when you're good, you go into a game and you're like, I think we're going to win, but we could conceivably lose this game, right? right? So it's the the those ty- it's kind of nerve wracking, but at the same time, it's a, it's more exciting. All right. Without further ado, for those that have been patiently watching, we've had over 200 watching live on our YouTube stream today. Those that have patiently waited for us to get to your questions. We're going to get to them right now. Um, really enjoyed, guys. The last couple of podcasts, we've had some excellent, well thought out questions from those watching. We really appreciate it. It's our favorite part of the show. And I do have to start it off with a laugh because, you know, I monitor the chat throughout the show. And Hokey94CPA, who writes a lot of great questions, chimes in and goes, you guys really need to stop with this Temple in 98 nonsense. We didn't play <laughs> Temple in 1998. <laughs> that, that, that's a good Well, point. I look at Hokeysports.com and I'm like, they definitely did. So I go confirm it in the middle and I type in, VT played Temple on October 17, 1998, and lost 2024. Well, Nature Guy VT goes, no, Evan, never happened. Where have you been with the winky face? <laughs> it's a common thing on the boards for people to say that we all know we never played Temple that year. At least we refuse to admit. So I apologize. So, Evan, I do. so what happens if somebody makes a joke about how the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Where do you stand on that? Blank look. no idea what you're talking about. 
Have you ever seen the movie Animal House? I've not. I've oh. heard great things about Animal Again, another movie. I'm uh, going to get a tweet If you're over. a young person watching Animal House, you're like, really? Nah, yeah, it's, it's it, honestly, it was, it was I'm a, older than you, Evan, and I still, I don't think it holds a test of time okay, at yeah. all. But there are some funny lines in it. And that's but but, but there, is, there, is a li- there is a line from that movie where John uh, Belushi's character says, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Right. And so people will say that on the message boards and other people will get upset at the history mistake. <laughs> My right. semester uh, is done in terms of learning things, but I'm not done learning uh, board lingo today. Would you, so, would you like us to give you a movie list to take home over the yeah, holidays? Clearly. How about that? <laughs> Drop in the chat. What movies do I need oh, to did see? You, so hear, I like, can... the theater? Hey, you, you got to do the uh, uh, lyric from my Twitter profile. Did you hear the theaters reopening in Blacksburg? Uh, uh, they're showing like Christmas Vacation. And stuff like that. Yeah, theaters are reopening and showing old movies. Cause yeah. <clears throat> All right, real quick. I'm going to drop Will's song lyric, and then we're going to get to the <clears throat> questions. We'll come back to the song lyric at the end. So if you know it, drop it in the chat. You better not look down. If you want to keep on flying, put the hammer down. Keep it full speed ahead. Who's I'll read it one that? more time. You better not look down. If you, uh, if you want to keep on flying, put the hammer down. Keep it full speed ahead. That is the song lyric in Will Stewart's bio right now. If you know it, go ahead and drop it in the chat. And we'll read that at the end of our question segment. No, you won't win anything because I know you can Google it. So <laughs> That's a good point. Don't do it. Okay, first question. Eric Fisher, has this been the most dramatic year of Hokie football since 1999? Dramatic. Year. Dramatic. They're all dramatic, man. you telling me when they lost to ODU in 2018, the rest of that season wasn't pretty darn dramatic? I mean, 2004 was really, really dramatic. You know, with USC at first, losing NC State, beating West Virginia, and then the rest of the season is about winning the ACC title, beating Miami at the end of the season by a score. I think two, there's positive drama and negative drama, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, exactly it's, what it's does hard it mean to, by drama? It's, it's hard to compare. I mean, it's just, as far as pure football goes, uh, uh, I don't know. But if you throw COVID in, yes, of course it's And if you throw – the head coach's job status being in question and you know he's probably right it is it's more dramatic on more levels as opposed to what's just going on on the field right yeah uh question from david tracy i want to know what has to happen for will and chris to consider it a successful football season next year that's a, that's that's um I'll, i had it written down to kind of ask for uh wit something like that like but well wit said he wouldn't put a number wit said he wouldn't he wouldn't put, put a, number. a number i think my question was framed something like uh how do you define success in 2021? Yeah. I, I'm not sure how I define it either. I know it can't be six and six or worse, but, you know? And, and I think it gets more into how it looks than, than what the number is. Now, that said, remember, even even some of Frank's best teams laid huge eggs. So, you know, the 22-3 to three loss to Boston College in 2006 when it looked like the team was falling apart. Right. Um, so those things are are generally going to happen during the season. But what I'll be looking for is Chris and I are going to go over – next August, when they release the roster with the heights and weights, we're going to be picking that thing apart, looking yeah. at – and we're going to be looking at what guys look like. Mm-hmm. And then once you've combed through the roster and, and passed judgment on all that, what do they look like when they play? Are they, are they ready to play every single game? Now, Fuente talked about – when he say he said when I watched us against Clemson and Virginia, I realized we just looked much more energetic, as opposed to when we were at the tail end of that nine game stretch. And he's like, "What did I do wrong? What could I do differently to keep the energy of the team up?" And he said, "We hadn't practiced, so I was trying to practice, especially the defense, 
but he he ba- he basically admit I might have worn him down. Yeah, you know. So uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, it's the it's the level of effort and the consistency of effort. And do I see the buy-in? And generally, generally speaking, uh, I would say in the eight, four, nine, and three range. And in my opinion, if the consistency and the buy-in is there, we will reach that. Yes. So could have reached it this year. Right. Right. David Tracy also writes: All incoming recruits should spend their red shirt year working out with Chris Coleman. Ah, uh, they'd quit. Nah. <laughs> Kicking bass rides. I'll take this one. Where do you think Herbert and Robinson will go in the NFL in what round? Well, I don't think Tavion Robinson's declaring for nope. the draft. No, I think um, somebody else. But uh, Herbert, I think, uh, from what I've been reading, because as a Jets fan, this is what you do at this point in the season. You read about <laughs> the uh, draft projections. Uh, from my research, I'll say, again, I have heard from the athletics uh, draft uh, analysis, first of all, that Christian Darisaw could be one of the first tackles off the board mm-hmm. uh, in the first round. I think Herbert's going to be a middle round, third, fourth. That would, uh, yeah. I think he could have been a late round, and the way he finished the season, he's going to be somewhere in that third, think, fourth round. You know, he got hurt and wasn't effective there for two or three weeks, but when he almost hit 100 yards against Clemson, and of course he would have hit 100 yards if, the, if, you know, if that had been a game into the fourth quarter, of course. And then what he did against UVA, um, I mean, the production's there. Yeah. And he's just a, he's a strong guy with deceptive speed. So I think mid-rounds is, is, is fair. And mid-rounds for NFL running backs, you just don't see a ton of first-round picks taken on running backs right. because they have a shorter shelf life in the NFL these days. Sure. So, um, Luke Hamley, do you think Fu was retained because other candidates didn't show interest in tech? We'll um, never know. Yeah, we'll never know. Um I think, and, and man, I, I don't have anything to corroborate this. I just, I, uh, in in the days up to Monday, I was thinking that that Witt had options and he was going to exercise one of them. And then when, when Auburn fired Gus Malzahn, which wasn't generally expected in the college football world, a buddy of mine has, has a wife that went to Auburn, and, and he'd been in my ear for a couple of weeks. He's like, there's a lot of talk down here. They're going to fire Malzahn. And they did it. And that may or may not have have muddied the waters for Wit if he was considering something. I think the fact that they held a press conference to explain retaining a coach you don't see that very often. Yeah. And and the and the reasons a lot of the reasons he gave for doing so kind of gave away that maybe he had been thinking about it. Like uh, he talked about how you know if we. Basically, he said, if we got rid of him this year with a one-time transfer rule, we could have, we'd lose half our team in August or stuff like that. So, so he it, thought it, about it. He, I mean, so just some <laughs> of the stuff he said. He tipped his cap that he thought about yeah, it. Yeah, right, right, right. And, of course, he never admitted that he didn't think about it. But uh, it's one of those things we'll never know. Like, uh, if it if it did happen that way, you know, would, would never no athletic director would ever, would ever admit sure. that. It's, yeah. all, it's all, well, I mean, did Justin Fuente get the Baylor offer, right? Like, we'll never no. know. Right. Billy Parvinum asks, does Fuente get too much blame? He hasn't embarrassed the program from a character perspective. Many issues like recruiting, bad losses, and lack of facilities preceded him. Hasn't he been a scapegoat? Kind of answers his own question, doesn't he? Um, um, that That's kind of the way Chris and I feel. And, and Chris and I have been criticized for being too negative about the program. But the things that he just said in that question are true. It's It's... I think somebody asked on the board the other day. I don't remember exactly how they phrased it, but my answer was, it was a team effort. Yeah, definitely. It's like well, Fuentes made some mistakes. Um, I think some of the issues have been unavoidable. 
Um, some of them are out of his control. Uh, Wit actually, Wit came out and he, he. You have to be careful how you frame this if you're Wit Babcock. But he said this was basically year one of Justin Fuente era in some ways because it was the first year where he had his own coaching staff, right? Like, like Justin Fuente could not come in here and do anything other than retain Bud Foster. And, but he didn't get peak Bud. Um, he got Bud Foster, who was at the tail end of his career. He had a year left on his contract at the end. You know, he had a health situation where he had to coach from, 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 the, uh, from, the, box. from the box. He was going through a divorce. He was getting remarried. I mean, this was not peak Bud that Fuente inherited, and I think that's one of the issues with defensive talent right now. We just weren't that good at recruiting in Bud's la- latter stages. There's nothing Fuente can do about that because we all would have crucified him if he had said, no, I'm not keeping Bud. And you know it would have gotten out. Right. If they had, if he had discussed it with Witt and said, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think good it's idea. a good idea. Right, right. Oh, I'm, I'm, the, the pro-Bud regime would have made yeah. sure you heard about so that. So I think – where I'm critical of him is I think he's he's you know, Fuente's like he's a big guy like he seems like he'd be a scary coach and everything like that but I don't think he really is <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think they're scared of him uh, I, when they had that meeting and they said we want less grueling off season workouts and he said okay are you going to be scared of a coach that says okay you don't have to work as hard yeah. right. Uh, or a coach that that lets you play every Saturday when you're not practicing. I, I just I, now he had an interesting quote yesterday. He said, "We're going to coach him how we how we know to coach him." And I took that as sort of the same line as he gave after you know the Miami after, win after. last year. He said, "He said I told the players we've been doing it your way, and now we're going to go back to doing it my way." And Tech was better after he said that and did that in 2019. And then they get to the offseason and COVID hits. And I think Tech has a large group of players that if they're managed very, very, very closely can be very good. But if you let them go off and do things on their own, they're not going to be they're not going to do the right things for themselves. And, that, so, and that's probably true of a lot of football teams. Probably, but you didn't <clears throat> see it physically in a lot of the football teams like you saw it at Tech, in my opinion. Um, so we'll see. I, I think uh, – I don't think he's gotten anything to lose by going tough on him this year. I mean, if he might lose a couple of them to the portal because of it, but if he doesn't go t- tough on him, then he's not going to win enough games. So, and I, I, I think I think it needs to be a really, really, really. Uh, I don't want to use the word gruesome, but they need to get after it this offseason, I think. Hopefully they'll be allowed to. Well, one of the things I suggested in my article, and and I don't want to insult the coaching staff or, or any of them. They may already be doing this sort of thing. I, I don't think so, but I would meet with the players and I would specifically set strength and conditioning goals. Yes. And, and I would really get with Hilgart, and I'd say, let's take this player. Um, what are you seeing in the weight room? And I let Hilgert tell me. Remember, one of the things we talk about the things that made Frank successful. And one of the things that made Frank successful was that Mike Gentry was uh, it, very often Frank's eyes and ears into the program. He he got feedback from Gentry on how the guys, they, they just basically said, there comes a time of year where the strength and conditioning staff sees the players a lot more than we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Fuente gets feedback from Hilgard. I'm not saying he doesn't. But I would sit down with Ben Hilgard and I would say, so-and-so weighs this much. How much should he weigh? Well, I think he should weigh this you, much. What do you think, You have ben? to include the nutrition staff on that as well. True. And um, uh, and the, 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 the woman who gets no credit 
for Virginia Tech Horizon football is Amy Friel. Yeah. basically created the nutrition program over there. Then she did the same at Indiana. Now she's like the head of all athletic nutritionists, so to speak. I mean, yeah. she was absolutely elite at what she did, and I don't think when she left, I don't – we've had more skinny guys since she left, to be quite <laughs> honest with you, um, who, didn't, who didn't look the part. So I think it's – all of that together has to be, has to be figured out. Like, and, yes, you, you're right. You meet with each individual player. This isn't a team thing where, like, oh, here's what everybody on the team is eating today. I mean, you have to make sure each guy – Okay, Alan Tisdale, you're 210. I'm not saying this because I'm angry with you. I'm saying this because I think you can go to the NFL, but you won't do it at your current track. Here's a picture of what Xavier DB looked like when he was your age. Here's a picture of what you look like. You're just not. We gonna, need you to look we, like we him. We need you to look like that. And we'll here, even give you number eleven if and, you want. And and, and Sorry, here's and here's here's your plan written out for you. Here's your calorie intake per day. The types of foods. And, you know, you're going to be in the weight room with, with Ben Hilgard, who's going to show you exactly what to do. So it's up to you. And here's the very end of that discussion. If you don't do this, Dax will start every game. Right. If you don't – if you don't show... <laughs> You shouldn't say it that way because then Alan will get mad at Dax. Well, well you, you say it like – it's it's got to be made very clear to the team that, okay, here's your uh, here's your weight goals. And, and your your body fat goals maybe I, I don't know how how they want to do all that stuff but uh here's your specific off-season goals if you don't meet them we're going to play someone else who does so but he's you know he's he's an example of a guy that has a has a really bright future if, right. he, if he does the right things ronnie adams i know y'all and i agree that cornelson and Fu can game plan but in gameplay calling and quarterback development is not good will Fu try to fix this or just keep pretending it's not an issue. Doesn't sound like if I'm right and we do have a quarterback development issue, doesn't sound like it's going to get fixed, does it? Let me add on to this as well. We've had questions about the decision to retain Brad Cornelson as offensive coordinator. So let me merge both of those questions kind of together. Yeah, um you know when when Frank finally demoted Steiny after the 2012 season, he didn't do it till February after signing day. Yeah, remember it's December, right? Um, now at the same time, rooms. like you know, and Forte says he hasn't met met with every single staff member yet. He has a postseason meeting with every player, every staff member to assess each person individually and things like that. Uh, he's he's a very art. He's very organized and meticulous when it comes to stuff like that. Um, so we'll see. I don't think right now that they intend to do so, but at the same time, you know. I can tell you right now that it's been a crazy few days. Like, normally, like, we weren't prepared for signing day this year. Normally, we have three weeks between the end of the last game until signing day to get everything together, to get my columns written and everything I've got to say. We've had three days this year, and included in those three days were two massive press conferences, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, and a basketball game. Right, and a basketball because game. Because a top 25 team. Right, so it's the same thing for Fuente, like, Normally, like, the season ends and maybe you take a week or two. You're able to take a week or two and think about it. Is there some news? Yes, there is news. Uh, and uh, we, uh, I, I, need, I need to confirm real quick that this is the actual account. Tell me that's not what I think it is. I saw the picture. Um, I want to make sure of this. Hold on. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to totally just. Uh, so, uh, so normally. So, they... so, so. You have some time to think about stuff like that, and he hasn't had any time to to process 
the season yet. Yeah. I mean, he's been meeting with all the players, meeting with all the coaches. Tech doesn't have a bowl game now. Right. right? He's got a lot he's, of time. He's going to have a couple weeks, and I hope that guy – I was so glad to see him crack open a beer after the UVA game, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever you think of him as a head coach, whatever, he works his tail off. I hope the guy goes on vacation for like a week or two during the holidays. Right, I was going to say that. Just sit back and relax and reflect and things like that, yeah. you know. And uh, <clears throat> right now, I don't think he's in, He's going to do it. That doesn't mean he won't because he hasn't had time to sit down and think about it yet. Yeah. Uh, let's get one more question in here. Um, let's see. One more question. Let's see. Uh, Tom Lester, uh, quick picks, ACC championship game, Notre Dame and Clemson. First, oh, yeah, say- you, uh, Evan, yes, Hendon Hooker's in the portal. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I, okay. I, well, okay. Hold I'm, on. It, it, there I'm is going a, Notre Dame. Hold on really? real quick. Interesting. The, it, there is a tweet from Hendon Hooker, but there's only 323 followers on the account that joined in December of 2020. So I am. Oh, what? What? I am. I, I want to make sure that that is the uh, that is not a, a fake account. Well, it's followed by Trey Turner, Taiwan Garbutt, Dorian Strong, and 22 others. If so. and, and there is a statement, but I just want to ensure that this is the the correct account. Sure. And and that was the news that I just saw, but I'm working. To, I just want to confirm that. I've, um, folks, this is why we have Twitter up and our phones up. Is just give us just a quick moment. Malcolm, do me, a, do me a favor. Can we throw to a break real quick? <laughs> Let's go ahead and throw things to a break here for a moment here on uh, episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to step aside, work on, um, on, on figuring this out here for a moment. We'll come back and, uh, and uh, continue to talk Virginia Tech football on episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We welcome you back into episode 159 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by Campus Emporium in the Southeast Regional Training Center. Evan Hughes alongside of Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and Malcolm Stewart. And we do indeed have breaking news here uh, towards the end of the Tech Sideline Podcast, and that is Hendon Hooker on his verified Instagram account that has 11.9 thousand followers, as well on his Twitter account, has put uh, a statement out saying that he is going to be Uh, Looks like entering the transfer portal. Let me read you the exact quote from Hendon Hooker. Quote, To Hokie Nation, 
2020 has had has had its ups and downs, but I am grateful for God's grace. I am forever thankful to Virginia Tech for helping me to become the man I am today. Thank you, Coach Fuente and Coach Cornelson, for giving me the opportunity to play the game that I love and to be a thread in the fabric of Hokie Nation. Also, a special thanks to the staff and trainers for believing in me. Thank you to all of the fans that have supported me through the throughout the years. Upon December graduation, I've decided to enter the transfer portal. This is one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. Being a Hokie has been an unforgettable experience. To all of my brothers, I love you all like my blood. Captain Hook signing out. Once a Hokie, always a Hokie with a picture of him with a peace sign emoji and a Virginia Tech uniform. Uh, This was put on his Instagram six minutes ago, so that was at uh, 2.46 p.m. Will your initial thoughts to Hen and Hooker entering the transfer portal. We had been hearing that might happen. And remember, this is the second time into the portal for Hendon. Yeah. Um, First of all, very well worded, very well done. You don't need, I don't, right off the top of my head, you don't need to parse it. He thanks Coach Fuente and Coach Cornelson. He doesn't leave them out, which sometimes can tell you things. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just uh, uh, very well done, I thought. Chris, your reaction to Hendon Hooker, who took over the starting job from Ryan Willis in 2019, turned around a season, nearly got Virginia Tech. I mean, you know. There have been rumors about him and Burmeister recently. And I don't know what this – and I'm sitting there wondering, like, if they're both thinking about entering it, is this going to be a giant game of chicken where one waits to see what the other does? Yeah, so my thought was if Hendon goes first, if I'm I'm Burmeister, I'm like – You're kind of the guaranteed starter at this point unless Tech goes out and hits the transfer portal for – somebody else but if part of me it's like oh my gosh well at least we're not going to spend the whole offseason saying who's going to be the starting quarterback maybe we still will we don't know what's going to happen but you know hooker hooker has played a lot of a lot of football games at virginia tech and and you don't want to see people like that transfer um this honestly doesn't concern me as much as like the nester transfer i know he's the quarterback but his playing time is more up in the air than Nestor's, right? That's true. And and he hasn't been developed like Nestor has. And he's already been in the portal once anyway. So I, I guess maybe I'm not bothered as much by it because I wasn't surprised by it because we heard it was going to happen. Um, so uh, from some of the same people who told us that Fuente wasn't coming back. <laughs> I know, I know. Getting but, where I don't but, believe anything I hear anymore. Right. So, so let, let's lay it on the table. We were told after the Pittsburgh loss that basically the entire offensive line was going to opt out. Clearly that didn't happen. Right. You know, so there's a, there's sometimes there's a grain of truth in these things. What's actually well, said, you know, you. it's, it's like after the Pittsburgh game was the bye week So everybody went home for Thanksgiving, cooler heads prevail. Yeah. All that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, you know, you look at Hendon hooker, and, you know, again, he was 6-2 and two as a starter in 2019, uh, made his season debut this year in relief of Braxton Burmeister against North Carolina, and really hung on to that starting job all the way until he got taken out of that Clemson game. And in, in the final real moment of his career here at Virginia that, Tech I'm sad that that's yeah, how he went out. It is that's, when that's, he couldn't get warm on the sidelines. So just kind of a you think about the highs and lows of his career, just kind of um, – you know, for him, I'm sure a disappointing way to go out. He did not play against Virginia. And, Chris, I have to ask, how much do you think of him not getting to start against Virginia played into this decision? You know, for all I know, it was the tipping point, but I generally don't think you, like, 
within a two-day period decide, oh, I think I might transfer, and then I'm going to transfer. Who, You've who, been thinking about it for a long time if you decide to, to do it. Who was the sideline reporter of that game? Katie? Katie George. Katie George. Uh, for some reason, I thought Katie Holmes. That's the actress. Katie Holmes. <laughs> actress in air quotes. Katie George at one point reported during the game, during the UVA game, you know, you might think with Hooker not starting that he, he would be kind of, might be sulking, but he's engaged. He's he, encouraging his teammates. He, he had a smile on his face in the post-game video in the big huddle there when they're all laying down. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so he's like, not I don't having, think he's like. He's not having a tantrum. Right, right. I don't think it's like no, any hard feelings or anything like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where. How developable is he as a quarterback? Is he at the point he is as a quarterback because that's just who he is or because they haven't done a great job developing him? Um, to me, the evidence says it's more them than him, although I don't know that for a fact. I don't think he throws a particularly tight spiral or anything like that, but uh, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he's not happy with his development. Who maybe knows? Maybe he doesn't want to run the football that much. Maybe he doesn't want to run the football that much. Uh Although, you know, he's not great at throwing it, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they're going to make him do the same thing wherever he goes. But, I, I, w- but, I would tell Braxton Burmeister, listen, man, if you're the next guy up, you need to hit the weight room really quick. Well, you know, Braxton Burmeister's back home in California for Christmas, and he's got to decide whether he wants to fly all the way back across the country to join a program where a bunch of starters are leaving again, apparently, right? Yeah. So that uh, it just... So at this point right now, Braxton Burmeister is the uh, – you look at the oh, quarterbacks yeah. on the roster, it's Knox Kadem, it's Taj Bullock who's coming in, and it's Braxton Burmeister. Yeah. I've kind of viewed Burmeister – like I always heard before, even like before this season, even while Burmeister was sitting out last year and even and into the offseason, that Fuente liked Burmeister better as a player. Um, he felt like he could do more with him, felt like he made better reads in the option game. Uh Felt like with a spring practice, he would be caught up to Hooker and perhaps even surpass him in the passing game. And, you know, we kind of saw the other night when he went through his progressions and got to his third read on that Robinson yeah. touchdown. Yep. That's something Hooker's never done, ever. Yeah, so and, with, with Burmeister, keep developing that. Right. Bulk up, increase your arm strength because the ball stays in the air a little long. You, right. you, he's he's close. Yeah, he, he throws a tighter spiral than, than Hooker. Yeah, but, he just doesn't know, have zip on Right, doesn't quite have a zip, but uh, – that is if he comes back, you know. I mean, we've been we've been hearing – we heard the other day, you know, both of them could be in it. And I, I don't know if that's a – like I said, I don't know if that's a game of chicken and Hooker blinked first or what. I guess I guess we'll find out. But th- this is kind of what I was worried about. Like, you announced that you're retaining Justin Fuente, and then, bam, you're starting right guard. And Hudson, you're, Nestor, Hooker. And Hooker all in a matter of two days or all in the portal. And it's just going to be like – Really, all and over so again. so to be clear, during the press conferences, they prepped us for a lot of portal. Yes, entries. they prepped us for this. But you know, there's a difference between a second and third stringer transferring and starters. Starters, transfers. absolutely. And uh, you know, Cornelson was asked specifically, uh, I forget by who yesterday. You know, are you expecting Hooker and Burmeister to be back? And he totally avo- avoided the question and said, "Well, you know, it's the time for everybody to go home for the holidays and spend time with their families because." Uh, They've worked really, really hard. Totally avoided it. Like, he didn't say those guys were going to be back or that they were leaving or anything like that. And so, then he texted Hendon after the press conference and said, uh, the rumor's getting out. Right. I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. Or maybe I'm not. Numbers for Hendon Hooker. You look at 2019, he completed 61% of his passes, over 1,500 yards 
uh, through the air, 13 <coughs> touchdowns to just two interceptions. This year in 2020, completed 65% of his passes for over 1,300 yards, but nine touchdowns to five interceptions. And so, uh, But three of those came against Wake, you know. Yep, and uh, that's a good point. And so Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson, now two Virginia Tech quarterbacks in the transfer We, we, we were sitting here before the season talking about we had three quarterbacks in the program that have won Power 5 games, right? That have won football games at the Power 5 at the, level. At the Power 5 level. And we look, we knew there was going to be attrition with this. We weren't going to keep all three of those guys because somebody's right. going to have to be third string. Yeah. Right? Uh, so it's not surprising – uh, it's not even surprising that Tech has lost two of them. I mean, you're talking about the quarterback position, right? That's well, the one that tends to suffer the most portal attrition. From a portal attrition. So there's, one there's not really any reason to freak out about this one unless Burmeister also leaves. And then you're like, what in the world? <laughs> the man just walked away from a guaranteed starting spot, right, if that happens. And then you go into the spring with Knox Kadem as your starter and your only scholarship player on roster until uh, – Till Bullock gets here. Till Bullock fall. gets here. Yeah. Taj Bullock gets here. One thing about this, we, and then you won't be able to redshirt Taj Bullock. Oh, it, what a disaster! Well, you know, <laughs> you guys have been talking about how important spring practice is, and we don't know what that's going to look like You're with right. COVID nineteen. And so, you know, if you don't have a quarterback, you know, coming back, that's, that's a whole other podcast topic. But again, that is the breaking news as we were just about. I was thinking about wow, this is this is by the way officially we're at the two hour mark right now, the longest podcast we've ever done. It is official longest. Uh, a good thing that we did stay on. So except that for, we, except we, for the Jeff Holland podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good point. Jeff Holland was actually uh, commenting that, during the podcast no today. Doubt. So <laughs> okay, well, uh did not intend for this to go two hours, but we had a lot to get through today. Thanks to everybody for staying with us. Great questions. Thanks for both of you guys staying on a little bit extra today. Um Chris Cohen, I'm not going to ask you what's coming up this week, but uh, holiday season. Um, yeah. What, uh, what does content well, look like well, for some, Tech Sideline? Some of the stuff I'd planned for today has been pushed back. Like, I was planning on writing my signing day column that I do every year today, but then, you know, I had to do Brandon Patterson's article this morning. I've been working on the transcription or editing the transcription of the press conferences from yesterday for almost an hour and a half, and I'm still not finished. That's how long it is. And then we just did a two-hour podcast. So I've got to finish that transcription. I've got to write a quick article on everybody hitting the portal, and maybe I can get started on that signing day column, and then maybe I can have it posted tomorrow morning with uh, with the Friday Q and A, and then gosh, I, that should be some interesting Friday Q and A. What's left on the quarterback? So depth I, chart, I guess Chris? Jay, I guess Jason Stamble sent a couple of articles in there. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm ready for the weekend. Though. I know that much. So I've been hinting that there will be some tech sideline expansion um, in 2021, and and depending upon how things break and how much support we can get from the readers and subscribers, I, I think we're probably going to be looking for a managing editor. Because we need our chief analyst over there to not be managing all of the content. Yeah, like I haven't. Don't send me your resume yet. Yeah, yeah, I can't even. It's, not it's hard to really like think when we run so much content these days. And when I was made managing editor, it was basically just me writing. We didn't run it. So much I was content. managing my own content. <laughs> That's not too hard. Well, it's really, really hard when you've got a bunch of other people writing for you now. So that, that's a so, problem we definitely need to solve yeah. next year is, is how to manage all of this content and how to even add to it because we, we're, we're getting chipped at because we don't cover women's basketball and we don't cover wrestling as closely as we should. So we're hearing that sort of chirping, you know, and um, trust me, I hear all that. And, and we're, we're thinking about that. Awesome. Well, 
Don't know what our podcast schedule is going to look like here, but I do want to just take a moment because you, you uh, are going home, right? I'm going home. Yep, I'm going to go home for a little bit and uh, go back to Richmond. So if there are any Hokies in Richmond, be sure to you know, maybe I'll run into you at Shore Pump Mall or something, uh, doing some last minute holiday shopping. Uh, but uh, great year of the podcast, and we'll have some we'll have some stuff. We'll figure that out. But I uh, just want to take a moment to just thank everybody for. Uh, listening and supporting the show we made the transition from facebook to youtube it's been a great success um our podcasts have gone longer you guys continue to watch we still have 192 live people watching um you know so just uh really want to thank everybody for the support of the podcast this year thank you too for uh putting your time and efforts into this podcast making it a reality and uh we certainly have a lot of fun doing it so um with that any uh any final thoughts gentlemen God, Merry, Merry I, Christmas. I don't think I have any thoughts of it. <laughs> it couldn't possibly fit into two hours. I, I, so. I can't Will believe. needs another Diet Mountain Dew. I can't, I can't believe it's the 17th of man. December. Man. I'm, I'm the football gonna... season ends and then Christmas is less than two weeks yeah, later. Christmas yeah. is next Weird. Friday, I believe, yeah, as we no. record on Thursday, December yeah. 17th. So, um, again, thank you to everybody. Happy holidays. Um, Merry Christmas from everybody here at Tech Sideline, and we look forward to many great podcasts here. Uh, in the future. All right, gentlemen, that'll do it for us, for our fantastic managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 159 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by Campus Emporium and the Southeast Regional Training Center. Appreciate you watching. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday.